0: All right, today I'm here with...
1: Avery Truffleman.
0: Excellent, and tell me of your involvement with podcasts at the moment.
1: (laughs) Well, I work for a podcast, so I'm very involved in podcasts. Um, I work for a show called 99% Invisible. It's about architecture and design, and I've been working for this podcast for about five years now.
0: Okay, and what was the first podcast experience you ever had?
1: Ooh, well, it gets into this murky territory of like, (laughs) well, what is a podcast? Because you know, I did college radio uh, when I was in school. And the whole thing was I had this like dorky interview show where I would interview professors. And then you know, it would go on the radio. But then I would save it on SoundCloud and put it on a website. And I really considered it. It wasn't only for broadcast. You know, that's the difference between radio and and podcasting is, yes, radio goes out. It's Broadcast over airwaves. But also, it's this idea that it's not made within the time constraints of a radio clock. There's no like, oh, we need to have the pause here to announce the station. We need to pause here to, um, you know, slot in the BBC news report. There's like a structure that goes with radio stories. And I think from early on, I was already imagining my radio work as something that could exist. Online, without interruptions, without edits, without limitations, and it could be of variable sizes. Um, So I would make like a version for the radio and I would make a version for the internet. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was kind of my first podcast experience, even though it wasn't like on Apple and Mm -hmm. no one listened to it, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, college radio is the classic starting. I I really think that because I went to a school that had like the college radio station was god there basically. really did everyone yeah. listen emerson college uh, oh of course yeah, yeah yeah wecb and wers uh, and they were like the thing
1: oh sure sure and, sure and uh,
0: they would never give me a show
1: real i'm sure it was super competitive at emerson <laughs> it was, it really yeah was.
0: and it was interesting that what happens with and i i found this across radio in, gen- in general is uh, once you get a show, you always have a show. Yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. always pitching a show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're one. You're in. You're in. And I totally had that and mm-hmm. abused it. And just like every year, I had a show, and it almost didn't matter what it was. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was awesome. It was amazing. And you know, like I, it, it's funny because I didn't officially. People like, oh, did you study broadcast? And the answer is no. But Yes. In college, that was what I spent most of my time doing, even
0: though it wasn't school. Yeah. What were you actually studying?
1: Uh, German and literature.
0: But not German literature?
1: Uh, both. <laughs> uh, yeah. Canonical European-American mm-hmm. literature and also German language okay. literature. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I. I doubt I could find a crossover with radio I'm sure I could have given the chance.
1: Well, it was interesting because actually it ended up being a huge help to me, which I wasn't expecting at all. Oh, yeah, because, um, I mean, I've forgotten it all now, most of it, all my German. But I was, like, pretty fluent at one point. And so I got a scholarship uh, from this program with the German government where I got to go to Germany and I interned at a public access radio station and I learned how to use their equipment and also part of it was they were also a they were radio and TV so I got to take film classes there and um, it was just like amazing scholarship program that I definitely wouldn't have gotten if I didn't speak German and then you know, I applied to intern at NPR over and over and over again, and it's they, they like to brag about inc- how incredibly hard it is to get. And the fourth time, I finally got it because I applied to NPR Berlin, mm-hmm. which is not in Berlin. It's in D.C. But um, NPR has one English language... Like, there's one other place outside of the U.S. where you can turn on the radio and hear NPR, and it's in Berlin. They have a terrestrial radio station that plays NPR programming in Berlin because I think there are a lot of expats and a lot of Germans who want to practice their English. Like, they love Terry Gross. (laughs) And so it's run from D.C. So I was working in D.C. running, helping, not running the radio station, but, like, cutting up uh, weather spots for the weather in Berlin, which I was just looking up online. Like, I wasn't there. I was in D.C. And um, saying, you know... Fresh air today at 9 p.m. I wasn't saying it because I wasn't in the union, but, you know, Mm -hmm. writing scripts and giving them to the voiceover, the people who were qualified to be voiceover actors to to say. And it didn't really involve German, but they wanted me to know German just in case because I also did do, like, event listings and things like that that would involve reading German. Mm -hmm. So, weirdly enough, and that was my foot in the door, and I think it was an internship that not a lot of people applied to. It wasn't one of the really competitive ones because um, it was kind of boring. Uh, so, yeah, weirdly, I wouldn't have ever guessed that it would have helped, but it totally, totally did.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, these things happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, do you remember what your first mainstream uh, podcast that you listened to was?
1: Uh Well... I, I was definitely a radio person. Like I always, I, I was such a pretentious kid. When I was a freshman, I like brought a radio to my dorm room and like turned on the radio every morning. I loved the radio and I would stream radio on my, on my computer. And um, one time I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut and um, I remember feeling extremely starstruck by various alumni who had gone off to work in radio and I invited them to come invited them. Well, not like I paid them. I was just like, please, 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 I love your work. Will you please come take the train to Connecticut and uh, speak to it to us about what you do? And one of the they were so nice. I can't believe they like took me up on my stupid offer. I was like a junior and one of one person who came was a producer who used to work for Radio Lab. Now she works for Gimlet, Lynn Levy. Have oh, you yeah. listened to The Habitat? Mm-hmm. It's she's incredible. She's yeah. amazing. And so she was uh i I, like organized this event where she was interviewed on stage by her former uh film professor and at the end she was like you all need to listen to a show called love and radio and i was just like i will do whatever this woman tells me to." she's a goddess (laughs) and have you ever listened to love and radio
0: no
1: it's amazing and it um especially like when it was just getting started it was wildly experimental weird unlike anything you could even dream of hearing on the radio i mean i'd never heard anything like it there was this one one of the first stories i ever heard was this one that became pretty famous of theirs called the wisdom of jay thunderbolt where in the middle of the interview um, it's about a man who runs a strip club out of his house, and in the middle of it, he pulls a gun out on the on the interviewer. And it's just like the sound design is amazing, the story is weird, the person is weird, there's like cursing, and um, I've just, I've never heard, there are certain episodes where clearly he's like lying in bed with the person he's interviewing, it's just like <laughs> extremely strange. And avant garde. And that is what I mean about like podcasting something that is different from anything that would be allowed to be on the radio, follows different time constraints, follows different rules. And that blew my mind. And so that was like my first experience. And then shortly after that, I found 99% Invisible. And I remember walking around campus being like, Do you listen to podcasts? Do you know what podcasts are? (laughs) And it was always kind of like the same little little crew of weird artsy memory palace 99% invisible mm-hmm. love and radio all these things that are now radiotopia um <laughs> and it's such a dream to be able to know these creators now and work mm-hmm. with them like I idolize them I absolutely idolized them
0: wow yeah I think the first podcast I think I was on a podcast before I, <laughs> I was on fanboy planet in like 2007 huh but then I discovered On MySpace, which really dates it to wow, (laughs) a thing called ThelemaCast. What is that? It is an occult-themed podcast about the OTO. Okay. And uh, you know there was Crowley, and my buddy who is a a occult-themed rapper called Scholar was on, and I was like, okay, I have to listen to it now, and I was like, okay, this is interesting because it's talking about something there's literally nowhere else you're gonna find. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Okay, that's cool. I'm not not another one of them, but. I like to listen to them, and then after, after I got a phone that wasn't a flip phone, I started listening to podcasts.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I, it's just so interesting that your foray into it, it was also kind of this like deep, weird, you know, yeah. strange. It's it's so interesting. It's like a whole new a whole new world.
0: Yeah, well, it's weird. I think that one of the things that podcasts do better than radio ever could is really, it both freaked the mundanes, and it mundaned the. F- Freaks, You know, it's that huh, weird yeah. pro concept. Totally. That it opens things up and it draws everyone together. Yeah. I, you can see it now with things like, you know, the Murderino community from My Favorite Murder is the best example I can think of that, you know, that solidifies around these sort of podcasts of very strange, weird people. Yes. Uh, like, now, tell me, have you interacted with any of your 99% Invincible fandom?
1: With my fandom? Yeah. I mean, it's weird because I think a lot of it, like, I think Roman receives the the brunt of it, my my boss. I mean, it was funny when um, I went to a conference that he was hosting in Minneapolis, and it was like entering this alternative world where he was just like a superstar. Everyone was stopping him every few minutes, asking for a selfie, and it was kind of cool because I was just next to him watching. Like, this is (laughs) so weird. Uh, and it was kind of a relief because he was the one who had to really like engage with everyone and be on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to the Walker now. Bye. <laughs> like, I I enjoyed not being where he was, but it was strange to see. And it was also beautiful that the show meant that much to to so many people and you know, a lot of uh, young designers who were really interested in in the show. So, um, yeah. Actually, the day I went to visit you at the Computer History Museum. This was like one of the only times this happened to me. Someone was like, are you Avery Truffleman? And they were like, I recognize you from Twitter. Uh, I was like, of course, this happens at the Computer History Museum, nerds. Yeah. Uh, but it was awesome. That was one of the only times that happened.
0: Yeah, this has happened to me once Yeah, at an amusement park in Gilroy. No way. I, was, uh, I brought uh, the woman I was dating and her daughter and a couple of other we were walking around and from Fanboy Planet. Well the guy who does the editing is was at that point a teacher at Notre Dame High School. And apparently when I was yelling, Evelyn, get over here they had heard me and said that was Chris Garcia. From your voice. <laughs> From
1: my voice. No way. <laughs> like, okay,
0: I'm glad to glad to know my celebrity is very, very minor, but That's incredible.
1: <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah,
0: I've I've actually had had stories of people who do like little tiny pot who think they that literally have no Uh, listeners who will, like, end up in, like, the middle of nowhere. Like, it happened in England at uh, Eurocon, the European... uh, Yeah, the European Science Fiction Convention of something or other. Um, And he was an American who was just over there. And uh, someone said, excuse me, are you the one who does the podcast about... communism? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, you never know, know who's listening. You never know who's listening. And, I mean, yeah, that's... It's really looking at the way... There's a doctoral thesis waiting to happen by someone who's not me, thankfully, (laughs) um, on how podcast fandoms have grown. Yeah. Particularly over the last five years, I think, is really where you have seen. Okay, let's say it. Since serial.
1: (laughs) Um, Totally. And the rise of the live shows and everything. It's very, very, very very interesting.
0: Live shows are weird. Live shows are weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's strange, you know, because it's one of the reasons I wanted to get into radio in the first place was like... um, I loved the idea that you didn't know what they looked like. These names that you love and that you trust and you know their voices and you wouldn't be able to n- pick them out of a lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like these trusted names from NPR. I was like, that's beautiful. That's exactly the way news should be. Like no ego, no personality. And now I think it's, I mean, it's just the way the world works. Like everyone needs a Twitter and an Instagram and you now now you know. You know what the NPR people look like. You know what your podcasters look like. No one mm-hmm. is just a disembodied voice. Um, you know, in some ways, it's 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 good. We shouldn't just be trusting disembodied voices. We should understand who's who's giving us our news and who's giving us our information. But it's just a very different beast than mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be when I first got into radio, which is which is funny.
0: Yeah, I love. Uh, I still have. I always. I don't know why this happens to me, but I associate non-radio and podcast celebrities with. Podcast voices. So Peter Sagal will always be Greg Proops. Uh, um, Roman will always be Dana White from the UFC. Uh, it's, it's, I have this vision of this. Who's Dana White? Dana White is the promoter of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, Wait, and like, he <laughs> sounds like him? Not really, but Wait. his voice sounds like it should be. <laughs>
1: Really? Yeah. I, I have oh, like you give a visual of someone yeah, else that matches. Else,
0: that matches oh, the voice for some reason.
1: Oh, that is so <laughs> funny. Yes.
0: Which is weird because I met you before I had heard you. <laughs> so.
1: No illusions so there. No illusions. Yeah. Which yeah. yeah. Is
0: sad. <laughs> like I'm meeting. Like they say, never meet your heroes. Never meet your NPR voices. Never. I really believe because Terry Gross looked nothing like I expected Terry Gross to look like. <laughs> Although I have to say,
1: the one time I met Diane Rehm. Oh yeah. And she's a fox. She's a total babe. And I was so pleasantly surprised. I think she was wearing, like, a feather boa when I met her at NPR. I was just like, damn, girl! She looks amazing! Uh, And that was awesome. So sometimes it's okay.
0: Yeah, I did meet Carl Castle. Yes! And a wonderful, wonderful human being. Amazing. And in my my head, I had him connected with this uh, video game pioneer called Ralph Baer. The man who invented the video game, basically. Huh. And... When I met him, he looked exactly like
1: him. Hey! <laughs> like, nailed okay. it!
0: Okay, you got it. Good. I mean, I guess they are both born in like the 1840s. That degree
1: to which, yeah, <laughs> older white men have a similar... Have a similar
0: vibe. You know, pants up to there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Really yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally, totally.
1: My, my pride and joy is that I, I have a Carl Castle voicemail. You do? I do. Thank you. So that's exactly the reaction. Exactly. It's my most prized possession. Um, and it's funny because I think people, of course, you know, mm-hmm. The era of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with Carl Castle is is yeah. waiting. So I used to get very excited voicemails that were like, ha ha ha, very fun to, to scroll through. And now, yeah. Few and fewer people know who he is.
0: Yeah. No, he'll never be forgotten as long as there's um, something. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure there's something. There's, there's gotta be. <laughs> That's what, and that exact statement is what. Uh, Nonprofits de- dedicated to promoting people's lives is based around. Yes, people. exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, actually, there should be there should be an NPR museum.
1: There needs oh, to be. yeah, hmm. interesting. Hmm. Sorry. Uh, <laughs>
0: Looking for another
1: museum to work at? Always. <laughs> always.
0: always. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's you, you'll have a museum you work at and the one you run on the side that kills uh-huh, you. Uh-huh, That's how uh-huh, these things work. It's uh-huh. like the people who have their own shows and then also have the little shows that they do just to keep themselves on tap.
1: Crazy, <laughs> crazy people.
0: Yes. Now, here's a strange question. Oh, hit me. No. No. <laughs> <laughs>